You see, I want you to realize that our church, and I kind of liken it to our son Parker, who's now 19, and our other son Pierce, who's 17. Uh, you know, Parker, uh, when he first became 18, it just went off in my spirit. Wow, he's legal. He's 18. That's crazy. My son is 18 years old. And, you know, through that time of becoming 18, I mean, when they're nine, you can't imagine them being 18, right? When they're 11, you can't imagine them being 18. Really, when they're 16, you can't imagine them being 18. When they're 18, you can't imagine them being 18. But to watch how God has just accelerated his passion for him, his love for God, and his hunger for the things of God and his family, and just to see what a respectful young man he's become and Pierce is becoming, and, and as, a, as he's younger than Parker, it just kind of began to stir my heart, Miss Gwen, just like, look at us at Bethel. I think, you know, us just celebrating this year our 18th birthday. So this all came about 18 years ago. It really came about before. Before that, several years before, God had put in our heart that we would be in Lexington, that we would be pastoring a church. I knew from the beginning, and so did pastor staff, that, that it would be a church plant because we wanted to plant the best possible pattern as close as we could to the book in the Church of Acts, which is the very first church. And I'm going to get into that here in just a few moments about being the first church. I, I think of the history of, that was just the first five years that you saw there. And, uh, you know, we, I'd like them to get some more off the beta and get maybe next week, uh, next phase of once we got into this building. But, you know, we moved into this building before our sixth anniversary. We started out on Clay's Mill Road. I mean, we started out on Alexander Drive in a little warehouse behind Gold, Gold's Gym over there in Doll Harris, a little strip mall that used to be there. And, and I'll never forget that time. I'll never forget that God said that we were to plant a church and not only plant a church, but, you know, a lot of my friends said, why don't you just rent a hotel, rent a space, you know, weekly, just, you know, just reserve a hotel and that way, you know, we can come down and help you get a couple hundred people together and, and then, you know, you do that for a year or two, get a bunch of money and then go and get, a, get in a building or, and, and the Holy Spirit said, no, he said, take what you have in savings, take what you put back and sow it. I'll never forget the first Sunday morning when Pastor Odd prayed over Steph and I, and we have it on video here somewhere. We've shown it multiple times, and it was the largest day, his homecoming day at World Harvest, and he told me I'm the very first one you know, at that time of over 20 years of ministry that he actually laid hands on and blessed and sent forth, and I thought, wow, that's that's amazing that, you know, all these years, so many people had came and went through college and through the church, and, but he had said that to Steph and I, and it was such an honor because we did serve very closely with him and for him and for the kingdom. And that morning when he laid hands, he and the elders laid hands on Stephanie and I, there was such a powerful transference of anointing and power that even took our lives to another level. We'd already came in and We'd put back a seed, and, and we'd ask God a, a week or so before, well, how much, how much, God? Even that morning, God, how much? Because we've been praying for a while, and God said a $5,000 seed. And uh, Steph and I were like, $5,000? We're going to a new city with our son just turning one. We don't know, but maybe one family there. 
walking away from income, walking away from six six figure incomes and and our beautiful home and okay, that's what we got to do, Lord. And he already told us that he wanted us to rent a facility. So I'm thinking I got to sign a lease. I got to do all these things. We got to furnish whatever it is God puts us in, but we obeyed. And that morning we, we sowed that $5,000 seed and that, and pastor didn't find out to, toward the end of the service, the people came and told him and, and, uh, he just said, I just want you to realize that this couple has already sown a $5,000 seed in a church that doesn't exist yet. In a church that doesn't exist yet, they've already started an account and they've sown this seed. And I was like, you know, in my heart as I think back about it, it's an honor that he said it, but I also know that no, this, this church had been in our heart for seven years. For seven years, we knew sometime, some way, we would end up in Lexington and we would be planting a church, not taking a church. I actually got offered to take a pretty large church over here back about nine years prior, eight years prior, and I, I rejected it. And there's a wonderful people in church. As a matter of fact, some people are in this church from that, from way back there. But I, I didn't come back and preach after I preached that one time and was offered the opportunity to to become the pastor of that church. And, you know, uh, I just knew I couldn't come back to this city for over seven years. I didn't come back because I didn't want anybody to feel that we came because we were just taking people from another church. And as we came and, 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 and pastor released us to it, and we sowed that seed into that church that, that was in our heart, that dream, that vision. And I told you different things that God said to Stephanie, all the way down to the name Bethel and how we named the church, Bethel Harvest Church. And, you know, God's house and God's house of harvest. And, and, and how that we, we, we uh, when we came here, he said that when you get there, it'll be a church of the Gentiles. I said, what do you mean a church of Gentiles? He said, people from all backgrounds, all cultures, from different parts of the world and different economic backgrounds and races and, 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 and education and professions and so on. He said, it looked like a UK basketball game at Rupp Arena just to be a diverse church. I'm like, wow, God. Then he said, now, now the key is you, when you rent this place, I have a place, you rent it. He didn't tell me it'd be over $3,000 a month that we'd have to commit to rent it and then re renovate it, but he gave me the first part. And we, he said, but when you do, when people come in and step in before you even meet them, before they even hear a song or a message, they'll say, this spot, this place feels like home. And, and I can't tell, even today we have people tell us, even on this property, I don't know, I just came in, I felt like I was home. And God said, by you stepping out in faith, I'm going to do that for you. And, and, and we did it. And you know, in that first 12 months, we started out, the first service, we had about 42 people, I think it was, including family driving in, children. Pastor Steph would lead worship and then run do children's. And I'd be ushering and helping out with guys. And then I'd come up and preach. And then we'd do everything after. And we cleaned and we painted. We did everything. And, and, and you know, I think about that. And, and I remember we started in the February 21st of 1999 was the first service. We moved here in December. 98 to start renovating this building we had leased and 
And I'll never forget as we're doing that, I remember we were getting ready, to, we were driving back to Columbus to visit her family on Easter, and we had not broken 60. And I was praying, God, I just want, I'm just believing for 60 people on Sunday morning. Man, I just want to break 60, Lord. We're like several months old now. I just, it'd just be such a joy to my heart. Well, at the end of the Easter service, we had 59 people. I'm asking the ushers, was anyone pregnant? Was there, you know, I just felt like 60. And I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, this young, dumb pastor. I'm driving to, back to Columbus. Steph and I have our little boy, Parker, who's one. And we're driving back to visit her parents. And I'm so torn up. I'm like, God, I just knew we were going to have 60. What is the problem? We can't have 60 people? I mean, 60 people? And then I repented. And when I got back, it was like from that point on, within just a couple of months, several months, by, by June, the first uh, or second week of June, we had broken 100. By the end of July, we had broken 200. We were averaging 225 on Sunday morning, 170 on our midweek service. And we started looking for the building and found that other building. We moved into it. We bought it when we were nine months old, a birthing month. God said, that's a birthing month. And we bought that building with a lease purchase and had two years to wrap it up. We wrapped it up in less than a year, a $1.2 million building. Because this is not our church. This is a non-for-profit. This, Steph and I are just executors and officers in it. That We can't take this with us. We don't own this. We just sow our lives and our finances into it. And like you do, we, we, this is not ours. This is God's. And as I think about how God's taken us on this amazing journey and, and how numbers have broken and things have grown and multiple services and renovations and a long story short, when we moved in, we moved into this building just before our sixth anniversary, but we were a little over five and a half years old. And at that time, it was a $7.8 million building for a church that's less than five, that's less than six years old. And we had already given away over $1 million to missions. You see, you can't outgive God. You can't outserve God. You can't outlove God. You just can't outdo God. I remember right before those dozers you saw up there were moving and all that, as Steph and I stood out here. They've been looking for this video. There was a video I did for the church, she and I, and I stood out where the entrance is and said, from this spot, we will touch the world. And God said, this is the small beginnings. And so that was going into our sixth anniversary. So we're 18 now. So that was 12 years ago, a little over 12 years ago. And here's the reason I'm kind of setting you up. Today, I guess, is a setup for this series. Is that I believe first are important. I believe first are important. For instance, anybody know who Larry Doby is? Or Dobby? Anybody know who Larry Dobby is? Larry Dobby is the second African-American uh, to ever be brought in to Major League Baseball. But who was the first? Jackie Robinson. We know that name, right? You see, first is significant. First is important. Here in a moment, I'm going to talk a little bit to you from the book of Acts and talk to you about the first church, the church of Jesus Christ and how all of us are a part of that. But I want you to understand the significance of first. 
I remember when the boys were little and they were about seven, six or seven, maybe Parker was six and Pierce was about three. And we were driving by Southland one day and, and, and Parker said, my goodness, look at all those cars and how big that church is, daddy. When are we going to be that big? When's our church going to have all those cars? And, and I said, son, that church is over, it's almost a century old. It may be a century old. I know it's over 50 years old from the church it came from, and it could be a hundred-year-old church. We're, we're just five years old. I said, think about that. You're about six. You're six, so our church actually is just, you're six, so we're seven, so our church is just one year younger than you. And he said, oh, that makes sense. I said, but just imagine what we can be in 25 years. Imagine what we can do for God in 50 years. Imagine what you can do for God and the next generation do for God. And then that's when you see things that are, blow your mind away. He said, oh, okay, daddy, I get it, I get it. And I just felt God wanted me to share with you how special each person is here today. And you that's been in this church and have been a part of this church. And some of you have been here for the full 18 years, really. There's some of you that were here from the very first few days. And, and there's some of you that's been here for 12 years and five years and three. And some of you that's locked in in recent years and recent months. And some of you, it's your first time here. But I want you to understand the significance and the power first. You see, as the power of first, when people pull up, sometimes they think, well, why doesn't this church have this thing? Or why doesn't this church have that thing? They would think this church is 50 years old or older. They would think it's been around for two or three generations, but it hasn't. This is a first generation church. We're a first generational church. So everything we do as a church family for us pretty much is a first but here's the key. We are the ones that get to set the tone for the significance of what's next. We are the ones that set the tone and the significance for the second generation and the third generation and the fourth generation if God tarries that long. So there's an importance on the pattern that God uses. And I never want you to allow the enemy to rob you, to get you distracted, to get you discouraged from the fact that you are part of a legacy that will always be. You see, you can only be the first if you're the first. You are setting the tone for the next generation. You are setting the atmosphere. You, our goal moving in this building was to be, before we get done this generation, to be debt-free. This church, everything to be debt-free and, and establish a, a culture of faith to where our sons and our daughters are a faith generation, a generation that doesn't walk in lack and doesn't walk in fear and doesn't walk in need, but they just take mountains and after mountains like Caleb when he was 80. He just took another mountain. And, and that's the heart of this house. The heart of this house is to be effective, not just for now, but for generations to come. And I don't want you to allow the enemy to get you caught up in the process and miss out on the purpose. You see, God chose you to be here. And for a lot of you that's been here 18 years or 17 or 15 or whatever, you know God chose you to take a step of faith with us and where we were and how young Steph and I were with the yellow tips and all, right? You guys took a, you took a chance on us. 
I remember people would say, oh, that church, there's new churches every month in Lexington. It won't last. Oh, one of those spirit-filled, them tongue-talkers, them crazy people. Oh, we'll see how long. Then, you know, we grew to a couple hundred. Oh, it won't be long. Give them two or three years. That pastor will fall in sin. Something will happen. They'll steal something or have an affair. Something will happen. It always does. And then it's like after four years, you know, we're growing and, and we're in the hundreds. So actually, after about two or three years, we, you know, we'd already been in our other building and we're growing. They say, oh, he'll never... They'll never break 500. That church will never, you know, those Pentecostal churches never get over 500. They never, but see, they didn't know who we are. And here we are 18 years later in a 52,000 square foot facility on 19 acres in multiple services. Thousands watching by Facebook and other things. You see, you can never allow other people to set the standard for your life. You can never allow the processes to wear you down to where you don't understand the standard that you are to set. You see, the first generation is the standard setter. We're the standard bearers. We're the ones that's setting a standard. That doesn't mean we walk around with a stick and a ruler. and It's not about that kind of stuff. We're talking about setting a standard to, to love people just as they are and not as they should be. To have faith to see them saved, to see them delivered, to see them healed, to be, see them set free. To disciple, to grow, to mature, to multiply. From this spot, we'll touch the world as we kicked off Mission 900 in 2000, and that is that we would win 300 souls locally, regionally, and internationally. And that year, we had won 900 souls. And, and, and it was amazing whenever we did that. It was crazy to see what God had done. And, and, and uh, 600 of those souls were not in our city, but they were regionally and overseas where we planted a church. I just want you to realize that, that, that we planted, you know, a, two churches now in Hyderabad, India. One one in Kiev, Ukraine, and two in Eastern Kentucky, and this one, six churches in 18 years, and, and I believe that, that number is going to just multiply like crazy in this coming future, the way God is setting the stage. Now, I want to take a few moments scripturally to talk to you. Let's turn to the book of Acts, if we could, the book of Acts. And if we want to know about God's pattern and we want to know how God does things, then we need to look at his heart and see what he has to say about it. Whenever we come into the book of Acts, what is the book of Acts? The book of Acts is the second book written by the, uh, by the disciple Luke, one of the foundational apostles of Christ. So he wrote Luke and then he wrote the book of Acts. And he really gives us a wonderful foundation of how Christianity started, what Christianity is. And he was there living live and, and documenting the things that he saw Jesus both say and do, that he saw him both teach and do. And Luke keeps the same thing, the same theme in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, about all the things that Jesus both began to teach and do. Everybody say teach and do. So then he carries it on and he even opens it up in verse one in the book of Acts about talking about things that both Jesus taught and did. Do you realize that Luke was the only writer that the Holy Spirit used in the Bible that was a Gentile? He's the only one that was, that was non-Jewish. 
So he had a, a beautiful perspective of the church that was much larger than Peter began with or John began with or Paul began with. Well, by Paul, he'd already learned it by that time. But by the, any of the first 12 apostles, he had the most open view to missiology and that we're here for a mission. We're not just here for our culture. We're here for God's culture. And as we look at it and we get into it to, to really study where we're at, where we're from and where we're going, we need to look at the pattern of the first church. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 16, whenever uh, he asked his disciples who he is, whom he is, and they said, uh, some of them said, you're John the Baptist. Some of them said, you know, you're, you're Elijah. Some of them said, you know, you're different people. And, and Peter was the only one, his name was Simon Barjona, that said, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And Jesus said, only my father in heaven could have told you that. So Simon Barjona, Simon, which means one who hears, Bar means son, and Jonah means dove, one who hears like a dove, or one who hears, dove is a, a symbol of the spirit, one who hears my spirit, one who hears the spirit of God, one who hears the spirit of God, Simon Barjona, you now would be called Peter or Petros, pebble. And upon this rock, talking about himself, standing in front of the huge rock of Caesarea Philippi, where he is Petra, Jesus, on this rock, I will build not your church, Peter, but I will build my church. You see, Jesus proclaimed then that he, his mission was to come and to build his church. And, and what did he say after that? To build my church and what? And the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it, shall not overcome it. The gates of this world of spiritual and demonic activity and sin and all those things would not overcome his church. And then he went on and says, I give you the keys to the kingdom, right? Keys represent authority. Whatsoever you bind on earth from this spot, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, you have an authority in me that you can bind and that you can loose, that you can bring a launch or an attack against the demon hordes of hell. You see, the very purpose of Jesus was to come and to set up the kingdom of God, to obey the voice of his father and to do everything his father told him to do. And being 100% man and 100% God, Jesus operated as a human because he needed to be a human to become a sacrifice so you and I could be brought back into the family. But he did everything as God, not on his own behalf, but he used the Holy Spirit. And he would obey and speak and do. And what he did, he released the Holy Spirit to perform the miracles. The beautiful part of that is Luke talks about this amazing handoff from Jesus. Because as you set the stage here in the book of Acts, the book of action, Jesus is talking to his disciples for 40 days, teaching them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And as he's talking to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, he begins to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna read about that here in just a moment. And it's so significant to you and I to realize that you are not, Ephesians 6, 12 says, you're not battling against flesh and blood, 
but you're battling against principalities, powers, wickedness, and evil in high places. You're in a spiritual warfare because you are a spirit, you live in a body, and you have a soul. So you're, you're really to be absent, Paul said, for the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And if you and I do not keep what is precious to us, if we do not hold on to the calling that God has given the saints and the, the, the dream and the passion he's put in us, then we will get caught up in the process of this world and we'll be fighting flesh and we'll be fighting lack and we'll be fighting fear and we'll be fighting worry instead of fighting the spirit behind them, which is the spirit of the God of this world, 1 Corinthians tells us, which is Satan, right? Because he got rule when Adam and Eve gave all authority to him. So we are in this epic battle. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it on Sunday morning. They don't want to talk about it in church. But let me tell you what, you are fighting an unseen realm. You are fighting a realm of principalities, of evil, and of wickedness, and in the flesh, in our carnality, we don't stand a chance. It's only by what, everybody says, just by the grace of God, like it's, you sneeze, bless you. It's so sad that we miss the power of God's grace. God's grace, his his grace came, it's Jesus. The law was given by Moses, but grace came. We're saved by grace through Jesus' name, right? And, and grace is God's gift, his free gift, the gift of eternal life, the gift of being coming sons and daughters of him. So you're, you're no longer a slave, you're not even a servant. When you give your life to Christ, you're born again and blood bought. What are you? You are sons, you are daughters. Hmm. Let me get into this. It says in Acts chapter one, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and to teach. Now, a lot of theologians debate this. Well, you've got to have all the doctrine and the principles laid out in the teachings, and then you go do. Well, Luke said it in the Gospel of Luke, and he said it here in the book of Acts. He didn't say, teach all you teach and do. He said, Jesus shared with them what all things he began to do and to teach. You can't, you can teach all you want about flying a plane, but someone really doesn't know how to fly a plane until they actually fly it. Then they can apply this teaching that, yeah, the teaching can help prime the pump, but ultimately you got to do it. You can study to go get your driver's permit all you want and get an, an ace the exam, but until you get in that vehicle and you start actually doing it, you really don't understand what that book was saying until you do that. You start, it starts coming to you. What are you saying? Never allow the enemy to cause you to sit on the sideline. Never, yes, there is preparation and, and there is education. And I'll be talking to you more about that in a few moments. There are all those things. But the bottom line, if all you do is to, to be learned and taught and never do, you'll just be puffed up and religious. That's why I got up here and said, even though Pastor Rory is out of town, it's easy, you know, he gets us with his team, gets us worshiping and does all this stuff. But today, you know, it's kind of summer starting and the team is, you know, they did a great job, but it's just weird. It can be like when I'm out, not, you know, not here speaking or something. People just kind of, you know, get in a different mode. 
And I don't want you to ever be in a mode to, to understand that you bring something here on Sunday morning. You bring your gifts. You bring your anointing. You bring the presence of God. And you are helping us to gather to break down strongholds in people's lives. I, I don't take the credit for 800 plus salvations in two years. Mark doesn't take that credit. We take that as all of us as an offering to God to do our what we all do together, our prayer, our love, our giving, our serving together creates an atmosphere to bind the enemy and break the strongholds of hell to where people didn't even intend on giving their life to Christ. When they come on the property, they give their lives to Christ. It's us. It's we're together. We're in this together. This is not just a Dalton's thing or Bethel's thing. This is our thing together, lifting up the banner of Christ together for others. I mean, it gets back to the simplest command. They asked Jesus what the greatest command was. He says, simple. He says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. The second is like it, or it's just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you can't love your neighbor as yourself, you're not really loving the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. It goes together. And it's the same way. If all I pray for is me and my family and all I want is the next nugget I need, the word I need, the encouragement I need, I won't be focused or have self-awareness to be the encouragement to someone else needs. But together we're better. Together we're stronger. Together we accomplish more because it's not about us. It's about him and it's about others. Is this helping anyone? Man. So he says, what the former trees of what both to do and to teach. He said, until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given the commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen. Whom he also presented himself alive with his sufferings as many as uh, with infallible proofs being seen by them during the 40 days. This is after he rose from the dead. Being seen by them 40 days and speaking to the things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is not a natural government. It's, it has a physical part to it, but it's not physical seen with our eyes. It's actually a present kingdom and a future kingdom at the same time. The kingdom of God is is God's kingdom and Jesus came to bring his rule, his authority. But until his second coming, and then we're here a thousand years and he sets up and creates a new heaven and a new earth after the millennial reign, you really won't see the fullness of how death was defeated with our own natural eyes until we really see that, unless you're the one that passes away and then you're with God, you'll know. But for us as spectators, we won't really see it. We just know it in our heart and our spirit and our mind. So what I want you to realize is you are in a war. And whenever John the Baptist, whenever the John the Baptist, Jesus got the report of John the Baptist being beheaded and he loved him so much. And he looked at his disciples and he said, uh, and to the people, the multitude, the crowd, about 5,000 people, not just the disciples, and said the least in the kingdom of God. John, John the Baptist was greater than any prophet, any man that ever lived. But the least of you, people right there, in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. Whoa, 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 whoa. what now, Jesus? What are you talking about? We heard the great exploits of John the Baptist. He said, the least of you in my kingdom will be greater 
than John the Baptist. Right there, John the Baptist was the dividing line of the old, and Jesus was establishing the new. The old wasn't discarded, it was brought into the new. That's why it's a New Testament church, a New Testament kingdom. So we can understand, yes, we love the old and the new and all that, but what I want you to realize, it all makes to the new covenant of God that we can walk and demonstrate and live like God designed us to live through his authority, his power, his presence, and his spirit. It goes on to say in verse four, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, which you have heard. And the promise was the Holy Spirit, right? Verse uh, five, he said, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days by from now. Think about that. You're going to be endued with power from high. You're going to have God's spirit in you and on you, immersing you. And, and we understand that because he goes on and tells us what here in Acts 1.8, which we've been talking to you about a lot the last two years, says, but you shall receive the power. You shall receive power. That word power, dunamis, is uh, is uh, like power like a dynamite to break, to destruct, to destroy, and power like a dynamo, a transference of power, energy. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now there's two keys to the first church, which is Jesus' church, and we're all engrafted into that. There's two keys. First of all, when you come in to his church as his children, what happens is you receive his spirit and his power. You receive the spirit of God. You're born again, the Holy Spirit. And then when you choose to pray and to get your breakthrough, to have, to have, to be baptized with or in or through the Holy Spirit, to be immersed, a whole nother level of what you're walking in. What do you say? You will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is, is how, how, how the missiology works in this. Because each one of the places Jesus mentioned was very critical because each one of them had very different cultures, very different social living and even economics and religious living. So Jerusalem and Judea were very different from one another. You see, Jesus being from Galilee, the Judean area down there, Jerusalem, you know, that, that commercial, the city, the government, it'd be like D.C. right now. It was where the Romans set court, you know, right there. So it, it was a, just a busy place, business, commerce, religion, all that, okay? Judea, the Judean hills and stuff where Jesus was raised would be what we could consider Appalachia. It would be like Eastern Kentucky or Southern West Virginia. It'd be like where the hillbillies came from. Yes, you, with no disrespect to Jesus, but we would call him a hillbilly today if we didn't know where, if he just told us where he was born and raised and where he came from, because he would be one of those coming from the hills. 
So each culture he mentioned, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. What was Samaria? Samaria was a place where some Jews were, but it was really a mixed race of people and mixed backgrounds and mixed belief systems. Remember when Jesus came up to the woman at the well at John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, and he began to minister to her and then ended up the whole city got saved? And she said, what are you, a Jew like you, doing in a place like this? See, she didn't realize he was demonstrating for his disciples the kind of life they were to live, that they were to cross racial barriers, economic barriers, language barriers, uh, educational barriers. Jesus wanted us to understand that the reason you have the power is not just for you. The reason you have the power is to tear down the walls of the enemy that would separate, that would divide, that would destroy, that would rob, that would set back God's kingdom. And then right after he talked about this whole thing back here when he was talking about John the Baptist, he, he's talking about John the Baptist and he said that, that, that there was none greater than John the Baptist, no man except the least of you, these, you in the kingdom will be greater than he. He went on and said, the kingdom will be taken by force by violence, and the violent will take it by force. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about it's on. You know how it is when you got your good Saturday night shirt on? Well, you guys don't do it now. I mean, when I was a teenager, you know, now you just ride by and roll your window up, fly a bird and have a weapon or something. But, you know, we, we didn't want to mess our shirts up. We took our shirts off, you know, because we had a t-shirt on we'd and fight because we, we didn't want to mess our good shirt up. That's Saturday night. Then we put it back on where we won or lost. We put our shirt back on, right? What, 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 okay, it was saying, okay, dude, you start seeing a guy do this. It wasn't just because he was going to sleep with somebody. It's because when you start seeing him do that right there, you knew it's on. No, he, we all talking smack, but the brother's taking his shirt off. It's getting ready. We on right now. And I'm just telling you, Jesus was saying, and the kingdom of God is taken by violence, and the violent take it by force. And what he was saying, we're going to beat the hell out of the devil. We're going to whoop Hades back to where Hades is supposed to be and Hades, hell, is coming under the feet of the least of those in the kingdom of God. So you, you don't have to live in depression if you keep it where it's supposed to be. You, you don't have to live in addiction. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in anything if you keep it under your feet. He said, you'll tread on serpents, serpents of addiction, serpents of fear, serpents of depression, serpents of racism and poverty. You'll tread upon serpents. What? Every serpent from hell has to be under your feet because you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people of God. It's on. Now, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about back there when all this was going on. They were in that big revival and 5,000 people got fed and ate and it's all cool. And, and then they, you know, he walked on water right after that. It's all cool. They didn't realize he just entered us up as tokens in a war that lasts until he comes back. You see, in, in, in where I grew up, I was in a family of 10. And my older brothers and sisters, a whole other generation, they'd already moved on. There's about five of us left, younger ones. And when Dalton's went down on the playground to play, we might fight each other. 
It doesn't matter if one of us is six and one of us is 16, but you better not jump in because all five of us will be whooping on you. Why? Because we're family. And if that didn't work, mama, my sisters, the older ones, they all be coming down the street because hey, I see my mama ready to climb into a pot. One time when my brother's in a pot, when they're holding her back, my mom's the most calm person you'd ever meet, dignified person. But you mess with her boy now, she'll fight. Why? Because we're blood. We're family. You see, when you begin to understand you're not here to fight one another, you're here to fight Satan, you're here to fight the demon hordes of hell. You're here to break the back of the enemy, to break the back of fear, to break the back of poverty. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. But the enemy wants to distract you so he can discourage you, so he can get you to depart. But here's the key about being distracted and being discouraged and departing. It's all about you. Be careful when it's all about you. Well, well, what about my gift? What about my opportunity? What about nobody ever notices me if I'm sick at home? What What do you visit people when they're sick at home? Maybe you start visiting people when they're sick at home. People start visiting you when you're sick at home. See, See, we get caught up in the process and in life and forget the reason we're here. We're the church. We're not just any church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And he is Lord. It's not about a method. It's not about a style. It's not about a look. That stuff changes. It's about the belief system of that church. It's, it's about the heartbeat of it. It's, it's about the vision of it. It's about, about, is that a place I can express the power of God and, and be launched out to change the world? It, it's, it's more than just what's going on in these four walls. I'm not even talking about just a few minutes later, Jesus ascends to heaven and 500 stand there and watch him. And only 180 made it to the upper room, actually 120. So you had 380 people said no to the first great prayer meeting of all time. Go and wait, go Terry, go pray, go wait, go Terry. 120 of the 500 went to wait in the upper room to be endued with power. The first group, so, so, so what happened after that? The Holy Spirit came. Don't have time to get in all that. Maybe next week I will. And then the church was born. 3,000 were saved that day because Peter stepped first and then the other 11 with him. Stepped forward together. 3,000 men plus their families were saved and baptized that day. Bible tells us that in that 30-year span of the book of Acts that it took place, that the writings took place in that 30-year span that that there was noted that there was at least 800,000 Jews saved, brought into the kingdom. That's not even counting the Gentiles because they didn't have the records. You imagine how many more Gentiles were brought into the kingdom? You imagine probably 2 million plus total people in a planet that probably didn't have maybe 5 million in the whole planet were in the kingdom of God. So I want to challenge you, man. We're just 18. We're just legal. 
We're not 30. We're not 50. We're not on our third generation, our fifth generation, our 10th. You're part of the first. Even if you just came today, you're part of the first generation. And we are the ones that sets the foundation. We are the ones that, that sets the tone. We are the ones that sets the criteria, the atmosphere. We are the ones that set the standard. And our standard is we're not going to let the devil push us around. Our standard is we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. Our standard is we win. Read the end of the book. We win. Our standard is greater is he who's in me than he who's in this world. Our standard is, is that we want in the gift and the power of faith and the authority of God. That's where I want my kids raised. I don't know about you because it's not about me. This church is not for Dalton. And it's really not for you. If you want a church that's for you, there's all kinds of churches for you around Lexington. They'll cater to you. They'll do, and we cater and we bend over backwards. We do a lot of things, but I think it's this time I come back and just reinforce some things to you. It's not about you. And I love you and be miserable if you weren't here in a sense, but if I'm not here, it's not about me. God's got a plan. And I, what I want you to realize is, guys, we're part of something bigger than us. We're part of something that's multi-generational. We're part of something that's eternal. And if we would just think on those terms and not allow the enemy to wear us down over little silly, stupid stuff, it's unprecedented what we could do together when he's truly first and we submit ourselves to him